0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10:30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. The subject that Matthew gave this particular sermon is the idol of nationalism, and it's really Stephen on trial. It's important that. I repeat a time or two, so that you all will keep it firmly in your mind, that the book of Acts is really volume two. Volume one was written by Luke about, and as he gathered information, openly he confesses that, the best information that he could get, he recorded it of the life of Christ. It's called one of the Gospels. At the conclusion of the gospels there is a passage that we all refer to in the relig- in the church realm as the great commission the great commission jesus called his apostles together and told them this is your singular job don't let anybody detract you from it go into all the world and preach the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ which is how he defines as the gospel and you Make converts and you baptize those converts, and then you teach them to become disciples. And this is your singular responsibility. Last week we looked at how they refused to be detracted by waiting on, uh, on by developing a welfare program for widows. They picked seven men, assigned them to that responsibility, two of whom, all of whom had Greek names, but two of whom you will run into. Uh, later in the book of acts that this being later because stephen is one of those guys they are no longer overseeing the problem that's been settled of the distribution of the needs of uh, for the needy that's been taken care of and so now they are out preaching the gospel stephen has had his hands laid on him by the apostles Whenever the apostles, the apostles had miraculous gifts, and then they could pass it on to one generation. And that's where it generally stopped. Now, so we're looking at volume two here and the book of Acts, and, and the, the book of Acts is about the church preaching the gospel to the whole world and what the results are. We haven't gotten to the Gentile end of it yet, but we're getting ready to burst out of Jerusalem and go to all the parts of the known world. One of the apostles is thought to, Thomas is thought to have died even in India, in southern India where the church still flourishes. Now this whole business of uh, the idolatry of nationalism creates some really sticky wickets. And I've, in, in the opening part of your, the sermon outline, I put those questions that, that make people really uncomfortable. Can nationalism be a sin? Is patriotism condemned in the Bible? The answer is, it can be. Because Jesus made it clear that his followers were to put the kingdom of God above everything else. I don't care how much you love your country because I'm one of those who has a history of, of being an outspoken patriot. And sometimes in my past, I have, in my opinion, looking back, been unwise and allowed my patriotism to oversee my... to Trump, to use a word anymore. I don't know what we're going to do with that. Got to come up some other term, I guess. Uh, To you, to override my commitment to the church and the kingdom of God. Because the Bible says that anything that a Christian puts above Jesus and his kingdom as our king is idolatry. Anything. Even Patriotism and nationalism. There were several people in the last year who have said, "You know, if such and such is elected, I'm going to leave the country." And Patrick and Eddie said I th- that they're welcome to come to Uganda. Said you know, they're got their They have, a, but you can't get in because uh, they're just talking. I had to remind them of that. But this young man, Stephen, is a gutsy bird. He confronts a group of Jews who have put Judaism and Israel above the will of God. Their contention is that... God has delivered them out of Egypt and given them a land flowing with milk and honey. God has given them a special place of worship, tabern- a, testament, a, 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 a tabernacle of testimony that was later repl- uh, replaced by the temple when Solomon built it. And then later it was destroyed and rebuilt, stored and rebuilt. And the... T- The temple at that time was the one that Herod had restored and rebuilt. And then they said, and God gave us our constitution and bylaws through an angel to Moses at Mount Sinai. Therefore, we're the chosen people of God, and we're, you know, and so what we're doing is right and everybody else is wrong. And that national arrogance. Was their number one. That was more important to them than anything. So it actually became. When it was above the will of God. It became idolatry. And it's to this idolatry. That Stephen addresses himself. In this lengthy sermon. That we'll try to get through as quickly as possible. And not without doing a damage. But let's introduce this young man to you, starting at verse 8 of chapter 6 in the book of Acts. It reads thusly, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, and look, folks, here's the way it is. Anybody that does just what I said of putting the kingdom of God above all other things will will ultimately get opposition. You need to know that. Don't let it bother you when it happens. Expect it. It's going to happen. Because we're surrounded by people who put their own desires above the will of God, even in church buildings. Opposition rose, however, from members of the synagogue of freedmen, as it was called, Jews from Cyrene, from Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. Remember, I would kind of circle that Cilicia because it's going to come up again and again because the capital of Cilicia, the province of Cilicia, is a city called Tarsus. And we're about to be introduced before we get through the seventh chapter to a young man named Saul of Tarsus. So remember, I'd circle that. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they couldn't stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak against Speak words of blasphemy against Moses and God. These were the same charges, by the way, that were made against Jesus. You're going to see a similarity here of the charges against Jesus and and how it was all carried out. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the 70 rulers of Israel. They were, and they did not have, by law, the authority to take lives. They did not have that authority. They had to get authority from Rome in order to kill Jesus, you recall, because they did not have, under Roman law, that authority. However, they produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking about against the holy place. That's the temple. And against the law. That's the law of Moses. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the place and change the customs Moses handed down to him. And Jesus did say that. But he was talking about his body, not the building they're talking about. He said, this temple will be destroyed he was talking about and the day will come when he will be resurrected. But they were all about this world and about their physical stuff, and they, they let the spiritual stuff fly clear over their head. They were all about customs and all about the temple. They think that if you prayed in the temple, your prayers were more apt to be heard than if you prayed out on a golf course. They didn't have golf courses, but you get the point. All who were sitting at the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. I've dreamed about that. And I've been told with what the Lord has to work with, that ain't ever going to happen to me. But what happened to Stephen here is interesting because it isn't the first time that this angelic light on the face of an individual existed. If you go back to the 34th chapter of the book of Exodus, you will find that Moses had been up on Mount Sinai for some time as God gave him all of the details for the construction of the tabernacle, which ultimately would be used to build the temple. And he also gave him the uh, constitution and bylaws for, for the governing of the nature of the nation of Israel. He was up there a long time. And God himself, and Moses was hard to convince so finally, God himself appeared and passed by. And he put Moses in a cleft. It's called the cleft of the rock. A bell split in the rock and covered it with his hand because he said, If you actually saw me pass by, you could not possibly live. You would die. But something happened to Moses there. And a light came over like a halo came over his head and 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 it just stayed there for a good while finally wilted away but that light of that indicated the presence of god in the old testament when the cloud guided israel and and protected it from the sun of the day as they marched in the wilderness And the pillar of fire at night was called the Shekinah. The Shekinah meaning the presence of God. The light of the presence of God. Now this becomes an important issue for you and me. Because you and I have been commissioned by Jesus himself. To be the light of the world, which means that you and I are to take the presence of God out into the world and demonstrate it by the life we live and the words that we speak. Nothing short of that. And we're also guided carefully to say, don't let anybody detract you from this commission because it's the primary, it is what you to do if you're a part of the kingdom of God. That's your citizen's responsibility. And you will be effective if you do that because Jesus said, you know, if a city is set on a hill that's all lit up, everybody can see. And so he's saying to people like you and me, we're to be that light of the presence of God in an evil, fallen, degenerate world. And by the way, I don't brag on many preachers very often, but if you get a chance, you listen to Charles Stanley's sermon this morning. That old codger really preached a good sermon that most of us need to hear. Brother Stanley, you can send an offering for the commercial. Now, it isn't the only time that this light... There's numerous instances in the New Testament that that same thing existed when Jesus was with the inner core. Peter, James, and John were the inner core of the apostles, and he took them up on a mountain. Now, there's a question of which mountain it is. There are two tall hills, mountains... In, in Israel, one of them Mount Hermon is actually separates Syria from israel it 's about ten thousand feet tall at least and has snow on it almost the year round. The other is down in the valley of Jazreel the valley of jezreel uh, comes uh, all the way in the northern area. It's it's just south of Nazareth. You can stand at Nazareth and overlook the valley. It's very, very rich. It has it is it grows, it has about three growing seasons a year. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful agricultural area that feeds most of Israel. And right in the middle of that, down at the at the at the eastern tip of it, there's a big old mountain there. Now, the question is, was it that mountain or the, the one up north where Jesus was with his disciples? And he was up there trying to teach them a little something. And, 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 and his heavenly father sent from Hades, from paradise, sent Moses and Elijah there with Jesus. And the disciples got all excited. Hey, you know, let's build a, a, a tabernacle to each one of them. Because the tabernacle was called the tabernacle of presence. It meant the, that the tabernacle was to come. So the Shekinah came in when it was dedicated. And the, the presence of God was there. And they would carry it to, to guide them because the Ark of the Covenant was in it. And so uh, Jesus was up here with Moses who represented the law. And with Elijah who represented the prophets. And the disciples said, let's build a tabernacle to each one of them. But all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah went back to paradise. Jesus stayed there, and the light of the presence of God shined down upon him. Because Jesus had already taught them what they needed to know, that the law and the prophets were unto John. What did John do? John introduced the Messiah, Jesus himself. Behold the Lamb of God, cousin John said of Jesus. So there in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, this is recorded how how the presence of the Father landed on Jesus. And God has said three times in the New Testament, this is my beloved Son, listen to Him. Well, Stephen, with this light of the presence of God in his face, got the attention of the Sanhedrin and so the high priest looked at Stephen and asked him a question. That's verse 1, chapter 7. He asked him the question, Are these charges of blasphemy true? And what any good preacher does... He didn't answer the question. He used that as an opportunity to preach a sermon. Any preacher is looking for an opportunity to preach a sermon because people don't ordinarily want you to do that. So he launches into the history of Israel. He starts with Abraham being called out of the earth, of the Chaldees, how he went up to Haran until his daddy died, and then he came down into Modern-day Israel, the highlands there from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. And Abraham obeyed him and, and, and said, but you know what? He was obedient to the call of God. And God promised him that he would he would actually, if he would obey him and come down there, because he didn't give him an inch of ground, that promise as yet was far off to be fulfilled. But he did give him this promise. If you're obedient and you do what I ask you to do, you will be the father of a multitude. And at that time, Abraham had no children. So if you believed him, you were actually accepting God's word on faith because the evidence was not there at that time. The time came when his elderly wife produced a son named Isaac, And then he took Isaac in obedience to God's will and circumcised him as a covenant sign that God had made that promise. Isaac gave birth to Jacob. Jacob, he was uh, like any other preacher's kid. He wasn't worth the salt to blow him to kingdom come until the angel of the Lord gave him a peg leg, almost. And Jacob was the father of 12 patriarchs patriarchs became the names of the various tribes of Israel. And the youngest son they finally sold to a bunch of Midianites who took him down into Egypt and there God rescued him from his heartaches, Joseph's heartaches, got him out of jail and made him second as the second only to Pharaoh as the prime minister of all of Egypt. But over a period of time, and I'm just I'm preaching his sermon, over a period of time, the Pharaoh that knew Joseph died and another Pharaoh or two came along that didn't know anything about him, and they, turned, they took the children of Israel who were expanding in number and turned them into slaves. And God then raised up a guy named Moses who didn't want to be a leader but God chose him and said you're it who then rescued all of Israel and brought them to the foot of Mount Sinai we'll talk about that what happened there in just a minute where God gave it, and then they got to the promised land and Joshua took over and took them into the promised land and they conquered first of all Jericho then I and then scattered other cities in the area Now, some of our liberal friends, and I I need to take a shot at them occasionally just for my own, make me feel good. Some of our liberal friends say, you mean to tell me you worship a God who went into Jericho and killed all those people? You see, these clods don't read their Bible. They just assume that what they think is true. Because the Bible said that God... Chased all the people out before the walls came down and the army came into to into Jericho. Same thing with Ai. The city of Ai pronounced I. And then after Joshua, God started raising up prophets. the last of whom was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, he goes to all the trouble to to give them a brief history of Israel, and then he says, look back, and you will see that in every instance, the people of Israel resisted God's leadership. And he liked, he picked out Moses and he said, when Moses was up there getting the Constitution and bylaws and getting everything that Israel needed as a nation, they even conned his brother and his sister into resisting him and saying, Hey, that old guy ain't coming back, he's dead. Build us a an idol that will allow us to live according to our own desires and not have to listen to that old guy. You resisted him. And he raised up prophets. And then, you see, if if Stephen had been a lawyer instead of a preacher, he would never have done what he did. But as a preacher, Stephen said, By the way, you guys, to, his, to the Sanhedrin who really is going to judge his fate, he said, Name me one of the prophets that you guys didn't persecute. Just name me one. Now, any time that you get into an argument and you're obviously losing, what most people do is get mad and want to fight. And that's exactly what they did. They lost their cool. A lawyer would have said something like, And you guys are a whole lot better, and you know da-da-da-da-da, so you turn me loose. But he pointed the finger straight at them and he said, And you guys are just exactly like your forefathers. You're as guilty of resisting the kingdom of God and his king. In fact, you killed him. Now, ever since then, the Jews have been using every media they can to get off the hook that says that they didn't kill Jesus. But they did. They did. Oh, they got Rome's approval, but they did it. Now, Jesus had told him he had everything that Stephen said he got from Jesus. Because if you go back to the 20th chapter of the book of Luke, Jesus told a parable. And in that parable, he told the parable of the tenants, you remember? God owned everything. And he sent a representative to the tenants who were Israel. And they beat him up and sent him away. He sent another, and they beat him up to send him what They were the law and the prophets. And then he said, well, I know what I'll do. I'll send my only son. And they said, hey, he's the heir. If we get rid of him, we can do, we'll own it, and we'll do as we please." That was Jesus. Jesus told that parable himself. And he said, and the time will come as a result of that, that what they have, I'll give away to somebody else. He was saying the time will come when Israel as the chosen people of God will cease to be and it will be replaced by the church. And he did just that. It probably is difficult for you to understand how the prophets and the preachers of Israel were treated because you get some of it in reading in the Old Testament but if you want a summary uh, you go to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Because the Hebrew writer talked about that. He talked about these prophets and what all they had done. And I'm just going to read part of it. He said, some faced jeers and flogging. Still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They, And that doesn't mean they took pills. They were sawed in two because the the tradition says that Isaiah was actually sawed in two with a cross-cut saw. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and in the caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. But none of them received what was promised. They were all living by faith. God's leadership through the years would have a really good case come before a court of being abused. Because they were. And the reason they were is because they spoke the truth As God revealed it to them. And the people resisted it. Because we by nature. As a result of the fall. Recorded in Genesis. Are all selfish sinners. Who really want to do just what we want to do. And if you don't agree with me. I'll get mad at you. Stephen was very clear in what he was saying he wasn't about to compromise an inch and what he then said he pointed his old bony finger at his accusers and at the Sanhedrin starting at verse 51 back in the 7th chapter it said here's what he said you stiff necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears now these guys had been circumcised for sure but circumcision of the flesh without the heart, the filth of the heart having been cut away, leaves you a circumcised sinner. And he was saying, even your ears refuse to listen to the truth. And he asked that question again. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the Messiah, the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels have not obeyed it. Because the law said you love your neighbor as yourself. You even love your enemies. The Old Testament said that. Jesus just repeated it in the New. Israel had a history of being closed-minded, selfish, and resisting the will of God. Resisting the New... Stephen put it like this. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. Resisting the Holy Spirit. Well, when he told them this, and they had no answer, they just got mad. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. That means they gritted their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God. And now then we're going to talk about that for a minute. And then we'll talk about the church of the twentieth century, twenty first century for a little bit before we let you go home. Unless you just get up and walk out. If you do that, put a whole lot in the bucket as you go by. Stephen had a vision. This is an interesting vision. The New Testament says that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, which was the seat of honor and authority. And it says that his job there, it's a courtroom scene, and his job there is making intercession for guys like you and me who have put our faith in Jesus, put our life in his hands, our future in his hands, And he's there making intercession for us, according to the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. We have a magnificent attorney named Jesus, speaking to the ultimate judge of eternity, God the Father, on our behalf. Been in courtroom a lot of times in the 50 years that I have been here. Interesting instances in the courtroom. I never saw a court yet where the judge stood. He, the judges are even referred to as the sitting judge. There was a young man, happened to be a Democrat. Can you believe that, Gary? He was happened to be a Democrat, and he was running for a local court position. Matthew and I and some others were sitting down at Starbucks in Kroger's, and uh, he came in. He was, it was during the election or before or whatever. So I go over and see him, and I told him, I said, You know what? Matthew and I have decided to vote for you, but if you tell anybody, I'll cut your tires. He said, I'm going to sacrifice my tires. I'm telling everybody. It was probably two years later that one of the young couples that I knew had some serious difficulty and were in his courtroom, and so I went in and sat down with them. And when he saw me, he just nodded his head because he was busy up front with the case. Prosecutor was saying his piece and so on. And when he finished that, he whacked that little thing, his desk there, and got up and took off his robe, laid it over the back of his chair, came all the way out, went down the hallway, came in the side door, and came in and gave me a hug. The the prosecuting attorney said concerning the young couple that I was with, we just might as well dismiss this, right? (laughs) I don't know what they did, to be honest with you. More recently, I was in a courtroom, and I never had this to happen either. I was in a courtroom, and it came in, and I asked the judge if it, I was questioned by the attorneys, and I asked the judge if I could speak freely, and he said, yes. So I said my little piece and got ready to leave, and he looked at me, and he said he didn't stand. He just sat there, and he said, Mr. Rawlings, it's been a pleasure to have you in our court today. Now I took that as a compliment. Because I think it's important that you be viewed, if you're going to lead the body of Christ, that you be viewed as someone of integrity. What you wouldn't know is years ago there was an old friend that left here. He visited our church often, and then he went to Columbus. He's older and dirt up there now. Named Sam Kegley. And Sam wrote a book. On integrity. And he included me in it. I was looking to see what kind of lies he was telling. Sam, Jeanette, good friends. But never in a single instance in the many times that I've been in the courtroom with divorces and everything else, child custody, I don't know, Never once did I have a judge stand up. But when Stephen, who was here dying like Jesus died, and on his lips said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He saw the image of Jesus standing up. Now, he didn't stand up to the father and say, Father, I want to introduce you to Stephen. God knows everything. He didn't have to do that. What he was doing is he was honoring a person who had stuck to their guns and preached the truth even if it cost him his life. To see the presiding judge, who in this case happens to be the Son of God, standing in honor of an obedient servant, gives me goosebumps. He actually prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And he died. And the next verse says something very interesting that you don't want to forget. It said that there was a young man there standing giving approval and kind of leading in the whole business whose name was Saul from the province of Cilicia and the city of Tarsus. That's a different story we'll tell on another day. But let me speak just a minute before I close about the professional preaching ministry of the 20th and 21st century. And I've been a part of some things that I wish I had never been part of. The whole concept of church growth. I participated in its germinating time. I wasn't the leader. I was too young. But I was in there giving what for. And we developed a whole generation of preachers who were interested in building. Their goal was to build a mega church with beautiful buildings and a lot of money. I have friends that pastor churches that day that weekly budget is in excess of $1.2 million. I just asked them for a tithe. I said we'll give you our whole year's money if you give us one weekend of yours. And they had they They're hard-hearted people, and they refuse to do it. We need to build a generation of preachers who were put together like Stephen, who would speak the truth if it cost them their very life. Our responsibility here, standing before you, preaching the Word of God, knowing very good and well that we will be held according to the Word of God to a higher standard. Therefore, we only have one person to please, and it ain't you. We will face our God who commissioned us, ordained us, And we will be grilled on how well we stayed faithful to the truth. Regardless of where it comes down. This last year in the election thing really troubled me. Because I saw people on both sides of the fence far more concerned about the political situation than they were the kingdom of God. And I'm talking about people who wear the name of Jesus on both sides of the fence. We best be careful. Idolatry is not something the scripture deals with kindly. And yet that's what it is. And I've been there, done that. And it ain't going to happen again. The old timers back before my time, the elders of the church would call a guy to preach for them. And they wanted somebody who they said was willing to tramp on our toes. And those who wouldn't, they had a word for it. They called him a hireling. They got it from the Scripture. We need guys who will stand up Look everybody square in the face, speak the truth, loving the people you're talking to, but not flexing an inch on the necessity of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and expecting God to take care of the rest of it. And that ain't happening very often. We need to examine ourselves at communion time to see exactly what our priority is. I told the bunch last night, put on their hard hat and flak jacket ahead of time, I should have told you, I apologize for not giving you fair warning. But the time has come, folks, this, this excuse for not coming to church it's soon going to be over. We're going to be handing out shots here in Saudi County. Probably the best information I can get is probably as early as the week after Christmas. And I'm telling you right now, it's safer here in church than it is in any sports program in the whole cockeyed United States. As far as I know there's not been a single person who has picked up the covid thing here and taken it out. We've been protected. And God will protect those people who are faithful to him. Well, next week you're going to deal, Matthew's going to deal with the persecution of the church under A guy from Tarsus. But right now, I hope you don't forget that you and I have been directly commissioned by the man who sits at the right hand of the Father to be faithful to his word and to seek first the kingdom of God and let all this other junk go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being patient with us. And we pray that the day can actually come when we get as excited about sharing Jesus as we have about this silly election. That we come to love you and your kingdom and put that above all other things in our life, beginning now. What we've done, we've done. We ask you to forgive us for selfishly seeking those things that benefit only us. And give us the courage and the wisdom of Stephen to seek first your kingdom and be willing to die for it if necessary. Bless us, oh God, toward that end is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.